Presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, the silent assassin Matt Costa on the other side of the table. Who isn't so silent tonight? Not tonight, no. He's, that's because he's had a few pops. And, of course, science advisor Matt Moniz is along as well because uh, my wife said just this once we could let him come into the house. Thanks. <laughs> well, I just, I, I don't invite you over enough. See, Matt ins- I am housebroken. Matt, Matt inserts himself, see. Um, Matt just comes over. I mean, <clears throat> but Matt and I go way back. I mean, he's been coming over my house since I lived in my parents' basement. So, uh, the door is, is always open here for you guys, and just call first in case uh, I might be fortunate enough to be naked. Uh, That's an image I didn't. Well, I was half naked when he came in. I think you were thrown off by the fact that I wasn't wearing a shirt. Now, Matt Costa can tell you, I pretty much never wear Pretty much I'm around, kicking around the house in a pair of shorts all the time. So, that's the beauty of paying rent. You know, you can do what you want. Anyway, so... Welcome to Spooky South Coast. We have a, a terrific podcast for you this evening. Because people asked for it, we are going to tell people exactly... Oh, by the way, just uh, I want to talk about something paranormal. I have, like, cryptozoological insects in my neighborhood. Really? I, I have, like, June bugs that are, like, August bugs. That's how big they are. August bugs? Yeah, they're they're huge. They're, like, matured two months more than June bugs. They're huge. And, uh, and Matt's going to turn up the the levels so that we can get some of their buzzing sounds. You can hear the crickets. You can hear the uh, the peeper frogs. I mean, we are definitely outside out here in the woods. Um, anyway, so people had asked us to talk about our personal experiences. So we thought, uh, because being the first podcast, uh, podcast-only show, we wanted the ability to, to cut loose, to be Spooky South Coast off the air, uh, to let people see another side of ourselves. So we thought, we'll go no guest. You know, no super high production value, uh, no commercials. No commercials. Although I am going to add in the spots for Crystal Expectations because no, know, that's they, cool. Exactly, they deserve it. And of course, my wife's spot, which I run um, every week between the the end of hour one and the start of hour two. If you have missed it, it's knitbits.etsy.com. K N I T B I T S dot E T S Y dot com. Where she makes things herself, she she hand knits items and she can take requests. And I highly recommend it. I'm knitting myself a hat, and I'm sewing up a head to wear it on. I'm making myself some mittens. And I'm stitching my fingers together to keep them warm inside. I'm knitting myself a sweater to cover the body I'm wearing. Knitting! 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 
Started off right. Yeah, this is yours. Two fingers. Oh. Gentlemen. Oh. Gentlemen. Goldschlager. Podcasting the way that podcasting was never meant to happen. What are you talking about? This is exactly the way it's meant to happen. anymore. <laughs> I can't drink this shit. Oh. <laughs> Why do I suddenly feel the need? I suddenly feel the urge to show you guys my thong and write a mash note about it. Oh. We didn't need that image, did we? I'm recording this, by the way. That's fine. <laughs> I recorded there since we did the show. There is a video I saw. You should be recording. It's, a, it, it's of a monkey smoking. Hey, how many burgers are you guys going to want? I'll what grab two. I'll probably make like it's appropriate doing spooky out here with the bats flying around. Reminds me of when I was in Waverly. See, this is why I thought this would be a good place to record it, because it's like your backyard, only not as far away from civilization. Cheers, Maddie. Burger. Hoorah. Hoorah. Seven five. Never say that. The oppressor libere. Exactly. You know what that's from? Green Berets. It's kind of funny that we're doing this podcast hammered. Not oh. hammered yet, but the way it's looking. Oh, Jesus, he's taking off the shirt. Oh, it's, it's for light reflection so we can no, read it's for that's That's paranormal. That's paranormal. Dude, I, let me tell you, I'm not a bug spray guy. I hate bug spray, but they just had a second case of Triple H. And I like, don't even know what it is, or, like what it causes. I just know I don't want it. <laughs> what kind of stuff is off? Just, we just want to make sure we don't have to talk too loud because I don't want to piss the neighbors off. I don't want to piss the neighbors off. I know you. Can I piss on the neighbors? It's a private neighborhood. It's a private neighborhood. I'm a bear. <laughs> Easy there, Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know where you get that from. Just a younger version. What did Teddy Roosevelt we, we say? We need more Franklin Roosevelt, Ooh. less Teddy Roosevelt. I know. I know. More uh, Franklin, less Teddy. Tip, tip a canoe and Tyler too. No wait. Uh, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. No wait. That was the other Roosevelt. Uh, all right. Let me let me do the open here. Opening. <clears throat> <laughs> That's because you know you only need to listen to about ninety percent of. No, wait, 10% of what I say, and throw away the other 90%. I mean, I mean, This is a podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. You talk uh, a lot of bullshit. I do. I never understood why, like, people like our show. I, I, I can't understand that, because uh, we're a bunch of clowns to ourselves. I mean, we have credibility with Moniz. I mean, people go to the professor's pit all the time because he gives credibility, but, I mean, what do we bring to the table? I, well, no, wait. No, you bring the scientific credibility and the knowledge and... and and Matt brings the you I know, bring the, the mystery. Yeah, you're the silent assassin. You create that aura. You have that character that you play, and at the same time, um, you know you have like top-notch production skills as well. So you do bring something to the table. Flatter me. Well, I do, but Flatter what do I bring man, to the table? I bring nothing. I, you know what I bring to the table? 
I'm willing to sit there and you, email. You bring personality. No, I You're don't. the salesman. You I, sell the show. Like, I do, I do like, try to. Like it's ketchup pop, cop, popsicles to Eskimos. I do try to you do sell that. It. <laughs> and we do have an airplane flying overhead because I'm apparently, I'm apparently in the flight pattern for... Uh, Moniz, we need, we need your expert opinion. What? It's, well, he's headed towards Plymouth. Do you, do you think that uh, that's a crop plane? Or? I can't identify it. It is a single-engine wing-over Cessna. It is a UFO All right, I, I don't know. Hey, you know, did anybody bother to check the weather? For those who, uh, if we haven't said it, because who knows what order we're going to edit this show in, but we are actually out in my backyard in East Wareham, right near the Plymouth line, and uh, we are out in the backyard because I have uh, I live in a haunted neighborhood, but we'll get into all of that. The, I think I think the uh, burgers are burning. Okay, I'll check those in a second. But what I'm thinking is uh, that we should have checked we should have checked the newspaper to see if they're doing any triple E spring tonight. I think we should because otherwise we're going to get like nailed with like pesticides. Yeah, that'll so. be a really good show. Yeah, well, maybe while my while Moniz is flipping the burgers on my grill, let's uh. <laughs> Let's set the mood a little bit here. Uh, we will post pictures up. By the time you're listening to this, there will be pictures up on the blog on our website, uh, SpookySouthCoast.com. You'll be able to see photos of this uh, landmark event, which we are calling Spooky South Coast Off the Air. We're not really off the air, just for two weeks. Uh, so we are at a table in my backyard, uh, just you know, having some beers, having some other... Uh, alcoholic beverages, some adult beverages, some libations, as they say. And uh, we are, you know, knocking back a few. We are talking, just having like a little roundtable discussion amongst ourselves. No guest. Uh, we figure, uh, we've tried, I think we've done a good job so far. Um, I mean, Moniz wasn't with us the first couple of weeks of the show, uh, only because we didn't connect with him until, well, maybe I should back up a little bit here. Uh, when I turned 21... Uh, I discovered the wonders of the beverage known as alcohol, and I realized that it was uh, quite tasty, and that it would uh, it would do a good job of taking away some of my inhibitions and make me more sociable. And you know, <laughs> exactly. Round of applause for alcohol. Yay, booze! We don't have any applause sound effects, though. Well, you gotta understand this is gonna be edited, so we can have that second. By the time you hear this, there might have been a huge round of applause, but. So anyway, so I discovered the joys of alcohol, and uh, having the personality that I have, uh, I, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go out to one of these hip, you know, 20-something bars and try to, quote-unquote, meet people. My wife, Jennifer, and I were already together by that point. We were already dating. I was happy with that. I didn't see a need to go out and, and, uh, and yeah, and fraternize. Dude, we're on a podcast. I didn't see a need to go out and fuck around. So what I did is uh, I, I, I discovered this wonderful bar, this wonderful adult talking place. About I'm talking about The Raven. Oh, God. Uh, We're on podcast. The Raven. And while we were there, uh, there would be bands there and some great bands, Big Daddy, Fat Can. A whole bunch. Uh, yeah, I mean, tons of That's where I first saw Blues Alley for the first time, my buddy R.C. R.C., yeah. Uh, and... and it just was a nice place to hang out. You knew that there wasn't going to be any trouble. If any trouble did develop, it was going to be handled quickly. And, uh, and and basically it was a place where, you know, you could relax and be yourself. And so that's why I used to hang out there. And one night, doing the sound there uh, is, is Matt Moniz, who I did not know at the time. I just recognized him as coming into the the place where I work in the mornings flipping eggs. 
uh, you know, I'd see Moniz there. So that's how I knew. Uh, I knew him as being that same guy. So I only smoke when I drink Moniz. I'm sorry. And, and I, Not a problem. If I remember, you yeah, know. I, I only smoke other people's cigarettes when I drink. I remember me and my buddy Tommy hanging around and bothering you while you were trying to do the sound for these shows, and you were just basically like, yeah, yeah, kids, okay, whatever, kids. But, I mean, that's what I remembered you from. Well, I, not to be rude to you, it's just that I was under time constraints. I had to yeah, get the but, shows on. And you were doing time. a job, you know, I yeah. mean, being a sound guy, and that's what we knew you as at the time, Matt the sound guy. Being a sound guy, you're not, you know, you can't have a conversation while you're doing your job. It's kind of hard. So... Especially when I'm paid to hear the group and try and get everything well, exactly, going. Yeah. Exactly. And and so what we did is, you know, we'd talk to you a little bit at the diner here and there, but I never knew that you were a scientist. I never knew that you were interested in this pursuit. You would let that cigarette upside down. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> Maybe I should have another drink. That was pretty awesome. So <laughs> so I did not realize you were uh, um, interested in the paranormal. And, you know, at that time, we're talking like 98, 97, 98, 99 maybe, um, no, wait, that would make me drinking illegally. 99. Uh, so around that time, um, you know, people didn't feel comfortable talking about the paranormal as much as they do now. It wasn't as prevalent in the media. Uh, uh, when we started doing Spooky South Coast, Matt Costa and I, um, which, let's get back to the, uh, you don't have to actually pass notes now, Matt, because we're not on the air, so you can just say stuff out loud. I was going to ask you when you want to stop this podcast. At an hour about, or... I don't want to stop it at all. It's just going to go. Oh, just keep going? Yeah, we'll just edit it down, and then however long it ends up being, it ends up being. Okay. Just kind edit of out. Like a random format. Yeah, we're just throwing stuff I'm out there. I'm used to studio. I know, no, that's top good. Top of the hour, news, then after that. That's good, yeah. We're, now, how many like, breaks do we have this hour? It's up in the air. Everything's up in the how air. How many breaks do we have this hour? Do we have to uh, run Cool Whip? Cool Whip. <laughs> cool Whip. <laughs> well, that might be the only time Costa ever sings, ever. That's staying in the podcast. That and uh, I do that uh, season. What is that? Oh. That song. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Is he rich like me? All right, anyway. So yeah, it is. That's how you know it. So if we get off subject, just pause for a second so that we can do a clean edit. Okay. So getting back to the subject. So, um... Some people might wonder how Spooky South Coast came about, so we'll include that into the discussion right here. Uh, uh, basically, I've been doing the sports show on WBSM, The Locker Room, since it started in 2001, right after the Patriots Super Bowl win in February. And I feel like I haven't really had a lot of chances to host. I mean, I was a guest on the show. I was considered a special guest host or a special guest each week. I didn't really have the chance to do the hosting duties, and radio was something that I've always wanted to do, so... I always wanted to hope that I could keep going there every week and convince them that I'm worthwhile enough to put me on the air talking about something else. Well, even sports, even so, like just to let them think that I could handle all the duties. And so at one point I got a, an email from Pete Braley, the program director, and he's like, you know, would you like to do some other stuff? And I said, yeah, I would love to do some other stuff. So I pitched the idea of Spooky South Coast. I mean, in its infancy, it was just let's do a show about the paranormal, maybe an hour. Maybe we can talk about some stuff, have some people call in with ghost or I don't know. I had no idea how we wanted to take it. And so I'm working at my morning job, which I work at with Matt Costa, and I take the phone call from Pete Braley, and I come back in and I say to Matt, I just got my own radio show. And about 30 seconds passes by, and I stop and I think to myself, 
why don't you be a part of it? Because this is a guy who has been teaching me stuff about sound that I didn't know. I mean, I took AV in high school. I was pretty knowledgeable in that stuff. I was proud of the work that I did, uh, and I was proud of the knowledge that I have. And I've always been the guy, like, in my family that they call up to hook up stuff and everything. But when I don't know how to do something, I call Matt because he knows more than I do. And if we work together, it's like a combination of knowledge that works really well. So I wanted to work with him, and I thought it would be great. Uh, yeah, I'll have a beer. And so I thought that uh, if we pooled our talents together, I mean, I knew that Matt is not a very talkative person. Uh, I know that I'm overly talkative, so I figured that would probably work itself out in the end. So I brought him on board, and probably within what were the, what was it like a couple of days, you were already you were already coming at me with ideas, already coming at That's me true. with guests. Um, you you booked Paulino, who did, was uh, is... yeah the first guest that we I had booked. <laughs> no, come on. Paul, you no, know why people listen to this. He was, he was good. He was good. We were bad. That was the problem with that show we is we weren't good enough as hosts yet um, to be able to help Paul limit his vast amount of knowledge. I mean, he is a great interview, and we're definitely going to have him back on in the future. Because uh, I think to be able to have Paul Eno talking about the multiverse theory with Matt Moniz there as well. Matt, Matt, the, the grill is on fire. The grill <laughs> is literally on fire. I have a fire extinguisher somewhere in the house. Okay. Um, oh, we're going to pause 10 seconds that's, for station identification. Matt Costa, carry the show. That's paranormal. That's all I have to say about that. Paranormal. Right now, I'm going to do commentary on the uh, current situation with the fire on the grill. There are flames shooting out of the grill, singeing, singeing. The eyebrows of Mr. Matt, no- Matt Moniz. Professor Matt Moniz. I like mine well done, anyway. I like mine twitching. I'm carrying the show right now. People are hanging on to every word that I say. And this is probably the most amount of words you've ever said in one podcast. It probably has. <laughs> As we leave Tim over by the grill to put See, the cheese on the cheeseburgers. See, because... Things that I say, the more I say things, the worse off I am. No, I doubt that. I just came up with a very important spooky South Coast question. Does anybody not want cheese on their burger? (laughs) I I like cheese. Everybody loves cheese. You can't go wrong with cheese. Except The Rock. The Rock does not like cheese. cheese. Hell, everybody likes cheese. Even the government gives it away. I believe it's pronounced government. Government. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. (laughs) I oh, speak several languages. Ebonics isn't one of them. Government cheese is the best, and government peanut butter is the worst. Peanut butter. It has like no salt. It's the worst. Oh, he knows what I'm talking about. He's Pope. <laughs> Got any gum? Got any gum? Oh, I'm going to be the one blamed for it. All right, so Tim, I have a question for you. Timothy just hopped a burger into the bushes for the coyotes and the raccoons. Mm. Mm. If the people at Natural Ice are listening, they have a fine beer. And if they want to send me a case, they can send it at P.O. Box 3271, Wareham, Massachusetts, 02571. 
What about Gold's Hair Hair of my Smoking Monkey Productions. I'll drink to that. Pausing recording now. Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services, including Reiki, Kuan Yin, magnified healing, and meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. Crystal Expectations' knowledgeable staff has over 40 years' experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. Crystal Expectations is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at verizon.net. Foosh Nickens. I can't wait, Rock. What's up, Doc? I said, can we rock? What's up, Doc? Yeah. So, I am, with that, I'm going to crack open this Natty Ice. <laughs> natty Ice? Have we determined that uh, if 5.9% alcohol is way more than... Well, you know, we could have we could have compared it with the alcohol content of the Bush beer had my wife not dumped it all down the drain. Alcohol abuse. Who throws away beer? Well, it was skunk. Doesn't matter. But the but it, it's Bush beer. It's pretty much skunk when you buy it. Moniz is on his way. This is this, true. So like your second or third. He's like, ah, fifth? <laughs> fifth? Are you sure? You're all right? No problem? All right. Good to go. I'm drinking all that Goldschlager? When you shit, it's going to be like hitting the lottery. <laughs> He said shit, which is funny because he can't. It's a podcast. We can say shit. It's a fucking podcast. Uh, we were like, before we ate, we like stopped the podcast. I know you can't tell at home because it's one smooth, clean edit for you, but we stopped the podcast to uh, eat some grub. and uh, After we put out the fire. Yeah, you might have heard that we burnt the, uh, but that's okay because, you know, uh, we live out here in the woods, so it does uh, it doesn't matter. burger is better than no burger at all. That's true. That's what Although, I thankfully, my, my lovely wife, Jennifer, saved us with those delicious meatballs. Can I have a cowboy yeah. killer? I can have a cowboy killer? <laughs> she, uh, she made some, some a, coleslaw, some a potatoes. And a skull. Here, hold this. I'm pretty sure that, uh, I hope that iTunes doesn't choose this episode as the episode to review. Of course they will. Of course, they will. But the good thing is we can't get an FCC fine, which is our goal, actually, to get an FCC fine. I can help with that. Well, I don't know about that. The creepiest moment of the week award goes to when uh, somebody on the message board, I believe it was an Eagles angel, uh, she said that you know, she didn't know how she felt about a thong with uh, me and Costa's face on the front. <laughs> and Mo- Moniz responds, what, and I'm going to do this in my best Moniz voice, <clears throat> what you don't know is that my face is on the inside. And when I, <laughs> when I saw that, I was just like, oh my God, that's so perfect. How did I not know he was going to do that? It was just excellent, perfect, perfect moment. So, anyway, you can get that song for only nine ninety five by visiting cafepress.com backslash spooky south. Right. Yeah, we're going to call this the tangent show because uh, we keep going off on them. But uh, bringing the subject back to his original intent, uh, the the when we started doing this, uh, 
I kind of said, I, I believe I said in the first couple of shows, which are unavailable. There's more booze in the house, Monies. If, if they're still... Uh, nah, you got to slow down. All right, it's a good idea. i got to slow down, too, and I've only had a shot and a beer. The um, first couple of shows, which you know, we, we did not make available for podcast because basically they're of questionable quality. Uh, the first episode with Keith Johnson, a terrific interview. However, uh, the MP3 recorder was not in the studio at the time. We hadn't yet learned that we could use the laptop, so I recorded it on a crappy little digital Sony, which is great when you're out in the field, but not very good when you're trying to record uh, out of a soundboard. So that one is kind of lost to the ages. I've cleaned it up a little bit. We will make it available in the future because it was our first discussion with Keith. And then the second interview with Paul Eno, uh, and then that same show we had the Reverend Gail Hicks, who is a, a medium um, that audio is a little bit better, but the show does need some cleaning up. So it'll resurface sometime in the future. But anyway, I think maybe on that first one or two shows. Kind of like a parasol video. Well, it wasn't in night vision, so it's easier to, to determine. But uh, Matt's cost is blowing smoke rings. I'm, I'm so much better than that. I'll teach you how to do it. It's all in the tongue. Anyway, uh, <laughs> now he's got no yeah, he's got no comment for that. Uh, so I think the first couple of shows, <clears throat> I turned down. Yeah, I'm going to clear my throat too because we can do that. Uh, I think I made the decision not to share my personal experiences because I didn't want. I kind of took that Jason Hawes approach of my personal experiences were personal and that I didn't want to share them. Uh, but at that time, I still wasn't comfortable enough talking about what had happened to me. I was all about listening to other people's stories. I was all about hearing about uh, research and, and, and legends and myths and all these different avenues, but I wasn't really interested in sharing my own experiences. I didn't really want to share them because I had this problem for the longest time where when I talked about anything related to the paranormal, my eyes would tear up and I would have almost like this reaction to talking about these type of things. I'd, I'd just get choked up and I wouldn't be able to, to get all the words out. Uh, and it would happen a lot. So... I just didn't think I'd be able to, to share it, sharing things. But I've overcome that problem a little bit, talking about it and, he and hearing other people's experiences and personalizing everything. So I think that I could talk about my experiences. However, I've done a lot of talking here. Uh, I'd, I'd like to throw it over to... Well, why don't we start with Matt Moniz? You know, we, we've brought you on the show for your scientific knowledge, for your experience out in the field, but we've never asked you what it was that let you into this what was your first quote-unquote paranormal experience my first paranormal experience was probably not probably most definitely when i was about four and a half almost five years old uh, i was living in sagamore and if anybody is familiar with that area i lived on adam street which is right below where the what is now the um Christmas tree shop at the Sagamore mm -hmm. when you come right over the bridge. First street you come to after you pass the um, the entrance there? The, yeah, mm -hmm. past the entrance is Adam Street. I was living on that particular street. And what I remember is at one evening my uh, sister was still very, very young, still uh, basically in the room where my parents were. So I was in the room by myself, I remember feeling a presence in my room, and a light came through my bedroom window, and it was a, the 
best way I can describe it is a combination between turquoise in color and uh, a cerulean blue. And it was alternating and swirling in that kind of color. It was a closet in my room, and I felt such a negative air pressure in the room that so much that the closet door actually opened. Mm-hmm. It wasn't completely, completely shut, but so much so that the air pressure dropped and dramatically. It swung it open. And it popped open. And I was, like I said, four, almost five. And I was playing with little matchbox cars on my on my bed. It was about midnight, maybe a little later. I had woken up, didn't want to wake my parents up. So it was just typical kid thing, playing with my matchbox on on my bed. The light started coming through and the pressure and whatever. So what does a typical five-year-old, four-and-a-half-year-old do? Hide under the covers, pull the mm-hmm. covers up over my head. If I pull my covers up over my head, I'm safe. Nothing can happen. And, of course, it was it was summertime, so it was rather warm out. So I just had sheets. So I pulled the sheets over, and as you know, if there's light in the yeah, room, you, too, can see bright, sh- yeah. you can see shadows and stuff like that. And I saw shadows walking around at the foot of my bed, which was scary enough to start with. But then the next thing I know is I felt something climb up on my bed and walk with one foot on either side of my bed. And at that point, I'm getting ready to just scream and bolt. And then the next thing I remember, well, actually, I shouldn't say the next thing, it's the last thing I remember, is seeing a hand or a shadow of a hand do this. Right up in your face. Right on my face. I tried to scream, but my whole body just locked out in complete, solid, immobilization and that was the last thing I remember <clears throat> tried to tell my parents that and following days and whatever they're like yeah it was just a bad dream mm-hmm. you know yada 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 and um, similar experiences happened later on in my teenage years and uh, continued on until adulthood now that's just my first experience with that when I was a teenager, I got into various forms of metaphysics. Uh, first thing I started doing is, you know, my father was a catechism catechism teacher, Roman Catholic Church, you know, how you have to go through the, mm-hmm. all, all of that stuff. And um, so I decided, well, let me look into religions. There's, I know there's more than just one, so I started studying religions and wound up studying all of the major religions and actually found that they all share a common trait and I was like well what is this common trait and then I found that later it's like the further back you go in history the more where you find the common traits and that's where I found basically early shamanism and paganism which is more the belief system that I have now whereas Mm -hmm. the person themselves is more the center than having to go through other intermediaries. Well, exactly, yeah. Yeah, but they all share, most most religions go back, they all share that common trait. They, whether they want to believe it or not, I'm not trying to espouse my beliefs or, or a belief on it. Well, any. we're not on the radio, so you can do that. No, just go ahead. No, no, no uh, just no, saying, I, just, uh, I went back to the beginning where things were simpler <laughs> and uh, and it's easier for me to just say, hey, this is 
I, it makes sense to me now why all of these others all share the same things. But religion then turned in, you know, saying religion turned into, okay, let me look at what, other than what just the uh, common traits they have, what else do they have? And I noticed that they all had various forms of what you would call miracles or other paranormal things happening. Uh, you know, look at the Bible, look at uh, the Quran, look at, you know, the Book of the Dead or any any religious tome. And you'll find a lot of the similar uh, miracles or paranormal happenings happening in that. That led me into looking into ghosts and other magical forms of worship and things like that. And then later on, I got into um, psychic abilities and things like that, researching. It, it was leapfrog. I kept leaping from one thing to another. It was like a chain that, as I pulled one link, the, another link would come. And it would be another avenue of, right. of following the knowledge trail. Right. And I found out that from following that from a young age, and I'm talking about 11, 12, at 11 years old, I was reading, you know, books like Joseph Campbell and um, a whole, whole whole host of other religious and metaphysical books, you know, and I was surprised to find out how all of this stuff is related, well, and that just led me into other other avenues. I, I think that you know a lot, a lot of people would say uh, you looked at the early traces of those religions, and in the early traces of it, they had a lot of these similar reports. And a lot of people will make the assumption that mankind wasn't as intelligent as a species back then as it was. That but, they were more intelligent. Well, that's the problem that I have with that is you're making a huge leap in logic that to say that they weren't as intelligent. Well, how do you know that? Because they didn't have as many proven scientific theories as we did. It doesn't mean they were any less intelligent. No, science is based on the theories that they had 30,000 years ago. And we don't know exactly what the earlier people thought because we don't have as much written record. For all we know... They could just as much have felt... No, I don't mean to interrupt mm -hmm. you, but you're incorrect. They did have written record. Back then, is, that's where the origin of writing came from. But I'm talking even like from the beginning of mankind. Like to, to make the assumptions that uh, going back as far as, you know, like post-Neanderthal, very early man. We're, we make the assumption that they were not that much more intelligent than primates. And we don't know that, you know what I mean? Like, True. Yeah. It's, it, it, but as history progresses and we see these writings... You know, what we see is a writing and is, is accepted. Like, for example, you know, let's take a, on a simple, simple scientific scale, uh, Columbus, quote-unquote, discovering the world was round. Now, we all know through revisionist history and, and through what we've learned since, you know, our early school days that it wasn't necessarily as black and white as we think it is. Well, if you want to know the truth, the early Egyptians, 3,000 years before Columbus, mm. proved that... Well, he didn't even really prove it, but assumed that the world was round. Knew that the world was round. I mean, but if we're, if we're going to take a, a step back, you know, just because it was commonly accepted that the Earth was square, that the Earth was flat, it doesn't mean that it was predominantly accepted. It just means that's what filtered out. you got to look at what class of people had the ability to write. You had to look at what governments were in control. I mean, just... There was a control of the information. Right. And it might be a simple case of uh, the right person came along with the right monarch, the right, fi the right figurehead, the, you know, the right ruler to come together. I mean, I, I look at it as if, you know, I, I, 
for example, with the government files, uh, the quote-unquote, the Project Blue Books, the, you know, all these hidden files uh, about Roswell, about alien invasions, about anything supernatural, the X-Files, we'll say, uh, that they're supposed to be locked away in the government and certain sects of the government know about it. I think that if there was ever going to be a president that was going to let it go, that was going to let it out, it would be Bill Clinton. I mean... No. Well, I'm just I'm saying because of the amount of... The fact that he was the president during the quote-unquote information age, when all this stuff started to be to come out more, when it was harder to keep these governments, you know, the the burst of the internet, you know, when when all this stuff kind of opened up, and to me that just shows that uh, there could have been similar instances in history where there might have been that one person that gets somebody's ear or gets in charge that starts to let some of the stuff out that had been suppressed. You, you know what I mean? A lot of that actually has been out. Uh, you got to go back and look at some of these old, old um, manuscripts. You have to remember, a lot of the history that we had was erased roughly about uh, 400 to 500 years ago. A lot of that material, and we call it the Dark Ages, mm -hmm. uh, from roughly 1200 to uh, 1500 A.D., a lot of the material that we had was absolutely and irrevocably erased. Well, part of the problem is, too, is that during that time they depended on oral traditions a lot, and, and they depended on the people to get the word out. But when you have something as bad as what happened with the plagues and you lose those people, you know, you lose that humanistic side to what's being told. And it basically goes from being, I mean, I'll tell you, if I, I didn't grow up in a religious home, but if I had grown up and I had had people uh, teaching me the Bible from a from a young age, if I had them teaching me these stories, I might have been more prone to believe it than I would be as a twenty-something-year-old adult trying to look back and read those stories. You know what I mean? It's like that when you take the humanistic quality out of it, it makes it really easy to discredit it as fantasy or to, uh, you know, it just it loses that something. And I think that what we talk about on a weekly basis is it's lost a lot of that humanistic because for years the if you wanted to learn about the paranormal i mean different for you because you you know kind of had no choice but to jump fully into it because your experiences combined with your quest for knowledge and answers it just it came to a head so you jumped right into it but for others who might not have felt as comfortable with that i mean we lost a lot of the humanistic side of the paranormal we lost a lot of the oral traditions, the comfort level that you have when you can say, gee, I was at my grandmother's house and I saw a ghost. And your grandmother's like, well, that's the ghost that's lived here for years. You know, we lost a lot of that stuff in the general way that it's being told. And I think now it's starting to come back. Only in Western culture. If well, you look at Far Eastern absolutely. culture and, and other cultures, it's still prevalent today. And as a matter of fact, a lot of it in, is still quite prevalent today in Southern Amer South American countries and uh other countries as not, well. Not to discredit the work of scientists in those countries either, but, I mean, generally there's less of a burden of proof in those countries to believe in this stuff. Uh, you know, it's while they still do look for scientific documented evidence, it's not like in this country where you need to have that empirical proof for a lot of people to believe it. Uh, you know, China and Japan, like we have that one listener I mentioned before on the show, uh, Reg, Regis, out in Japan, who's doing some work at the embassy, and he's telling me that, you know, out in those countries, 
they do have these superstitions, but they don't they don't talk about them as much. But that it's still a very big part of who they are, and I think that we don't talk about that much. But it's lost the who we are part of it. You know, it's not part of our fabric anymore. Uh, Actually, if you think about it, it is part of our fabric. It's what shaped our us today in a Western civilization. But it's just, I mean. Again, you, you know, you're a, you, you probably deal with some more enlightened people on a daily basis than than Matt Costa and myself. But, I mean, Matt Costa, I mean, can you go to, up to the people that you meet on a regular basis during the day and just start a conversation about the paranormal? No, definitely not. I mean, I have. Uh, uh, well, I mean, people usually people usually takes three steps back when I exactly start to talk about paranormal. Well, activities. I mean, in our day job, we've had a lot uh, an influx of some new people and. Because Matt and I do a lot of talking about the show, a lot of planning, a lot of reviewing of the tapes and everything during the course of the day, I've taken to one of the first questions I ask a new employee is, do you believe in ghosts? And I will get from them, no, no, I don't believe in ghosts. And then when they find out why exactly I'm asking, and when they hear some of the discussion that we have, then it starts to, you know, the veil kind of pulls up over their faces, and they're like, well, it's funny that you mentioned that. And and I think that we... As a culture, we have that in our, in ourselves and in our own personal histories. But when it's not shared and not discussed, it's not part of our collective fabric anymore. It's interesting that you mention that. Now, if look at what you just said, when you bring the subject up, the other people will shy away. Okay, but when you start explaining that you need, all of a sudden is like, oh, it's okay to talk yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. This. And I think we need to to find that it's okay factor um, in Western culture overall. I think we're, I think what we're doing, and I think with uh, what Darkness on the Edge Town Radio, Ghostly Talk, Nightwatch, all these other shows, Coast to Coast, that are willing to talk about it, it does create a small segment of the population that will freely discuss this. But then again, I'm also, as, as great as our audience is and as great as all their audiences are, we are still talking about a small segment of the population. And we are talking about people who for the most part might have already felt comfortable talking about this what we need to do is we need to start making it you know part of the six o'clock news part of the 11 o'clock news there needs to be more uh we need to stop covering stuff up first of all i mean you, you can tell me you also have to stop be selecting being selective sorry of what is okay to talk about in terms of the paranormal to borrow from a movie if you tell people that you're uh, abducted by aliens, they'll look at you like a nut. If you tell people you saw the Virgin Mary, they'll be lighting candles outside your bathroom. Well, exactly. No, that's that's a very good point. The the, the problem with it is, is we, we have those boundaries of what's acceptable and what isn't if it fits the mold of something else. Like, for, for example, right, you can tell me that the United States government covers up uh, evidence of aliens covers up evidence of UFOs. Well, I know that for a first hand fact. But you, you can tell me that, and I can see the government's. I mean, I don't agree with it, but I can see the government's point of view for some of it of why they would keep a lot of it covered up. True. If okay. the government has knowledge in their vast vaults, their vast archives of, say, ghost activity or demonic activity or anything like I can't understand why the government would hold it at an advantage to keep that information private. Um, unless it's just because it's lumped into the same category as 
strategically important things to keep secret. Well, reason why they would keep obviously alien uh, material quiet is because of technology they've recovered. Yeah, they well, want exactly. to remain, you know, technologically superior. As far as the other material, why they sit on it, and they do have evidences of uh, things, as you know, my buddy Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the military has had plenty of experience with ghost things. The, one of the reasons why they keep it under wraps is it's used in a lot of their psychological operations it, should they need to use it. They use what would be called a fear factor in their enemy. Okay, we know that you know they're going to stay out of this general area because they fear uh, the ghosts of this cemetery. Or you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm not saying this is exact exact cases, but they use the predisposition of the people's general desire not to be there because of this, and use that to their advantage. It's a psyops type of uh, advantage. The, uh, but I mean, and if I can just say, I mean, I, I, I'm in no means grandstanding here, but shame on the aliens, really. Shame on the aliens for somehow making the decision to work with our government over every other government. I mean, granted, this is the best country on, on Earth, as far as I'm concerned. I believe strongly in democratic principles, but just shame on them to align themselves with our government and allow whatever they have to share with mankind to be kept under wraps like that. I mean, from my. From what I know from doing this for so many years and talking to so many of the people that are actually involved with it, they're not really working with us. You know what? Let me take that back, actually, now that I think about it. Let me let me retract that statement because until I am positive, and I want to be positive through other people's research, not through my own experiences, but until I'm positive that these uh, aliens are not, are, are, I mean, are, are totally enlightened beings then i will you know i'll reserve passing judgment on them if they are an enlightened people and they know the errors of mankind and its outcomes and and they see us on this path of self-destruction or whatever you know if it's any of that kind of situation you know then shame on them for for picking and choosing their spots but if it's you know if they're just regular Glutes out there in the grand scheme of the universe, such as we are, that just happen to figure out a few things we haven't yet, then I can understand. Well, it'd be no different than you and I going to, you know, the upper basin of the Brazilian rainforest and dealing with the tribes up there. What we would we would seem like aliens to them with That's some true. of our technology. It's not that that we're any better. We know that much more than them. We just have a better understanding of the tools and principles that operate the planet or you know you know what i mean i know i I understand the i mean i think that and we talked about it last week with with rakay's uh a bit of the fear is the unknown i mean gary pointed that out gary gomes he he pointed out that we are afraid of what we don't know and that that is what creates a lot of this um for all we know i mean this, uh, for all we know, these uh, quote-unquote visitations, these abductions, uh, they could be, I don't want to say government-sanctioned, but they could very well know about them uh, and very well approve. Wouldn't, if you were working... Know about them approved is another story. Well, uh, can we say maybe turn a blind eye? Can we say agree to disagree maybe? like what? We can say that they're aware of their happenings, but can 
can't do a damn thing about it. Are, are we looking at a situation where it's like uh, like a prisoner of war type situation, where it's kind of like you know the rules of engagement allow them to to do this as long as it's done in a certain manner? Uh, I just I can't imagine that if they are working. To, for example, if you know if we were supposedly uh, if there the, pot- the potential is there to be at odds with, say, Canada, uh, say that they're well. I mean, but let's just say that, for for example, and hello to our Canadian friends. Uh, I'm not trying to besmirch you in any way, but you know, say we were at odds with Canada, not at odds, but just like you know, there was a tenuous situation, and we had a tentative agreement to uh, you know a ceasefire, a a Armistice. A plan to work cooperatively, but that was still in its infant steps. If all of a sudden Canadians started coming across the border and snatching up Americans and running tests on Americans, wouldn't we see that as almost like an act of war? Wouldn't we see that as almost like an attack on our people? Wouldn't we want to defend our people? Uh, Is it just that we have to totally um, ignore and accept just because of the wealth of information that we can get as a benefit from Basically, just letting them have the run of the place? Well, put it this way. How would you be able to stop them? Well, I've seen some movies, and I'm pretty sure that, uh, for one, they don't like the sound. What was the, in Mars Attacks, what was the music that they played? Slim Whitman. Yeah, Slim Whitman, yeah. So some Slim Whitman might work. Uh, Independence Day, were they some planes, uh, kamikaze missions there? No, but I mean... Ultimately, sooner or later, if it is happening, and it is happening with the government's knowledge, sooner or later there's going to be something's going to slip out. Something bigger than what has slipped what do you mean out. Something well, stuff has been slipping out for years. I realize that, but sooner or later it's going to take the right person in the right position. I mean, Dan Aykroyd, God bless him. You know, he's taking his celebrity and he's using that as. A tool to help spread the word. Charlie Sheen, same thing. His beliefs and what really happened with 9-11. He is not afraid to use his celebrity stature uh, to help promote his beliefs. But sooner or later, there's going to be somebody a little bit higher up, such as in Canada where it was the... What about uh, Corso? Uh, I'm talking even higher than Corso, though. I'm, I'm talking, like, n- not even within the military. Um, because the military is an easy scapegoat to put on this. Um even if you work in the higher most trenches of the government, I mean of the military, and you are privy to information others might not be, there's still the constant veil of secrecy that is the American military. So much so that, you know, you can question whether or not somebody, even at that level of Corso, still might be mistaken in information that he was given. You know what I mean? Like, right. So there's still, because of the way that that organization operates... If, for example, a United States senator somehow came upon this information and that United States senator went public with it, then there's a little bit more credibility to it. You know, it's a, it's a little bit more... You're talking about, like, what Barry Wa- Goldwater wanted to do back in the 60s when they actually put the brakes to him and told him, no, you've got to... Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, the, the government machine is always more powerful than the individual. But, you know, hey, what am I, 28? So I'm, what, seven years away from being able to run for president? So when I do, I'll launch a campaign. Hey, wait a minute. I can run. Well, yeah, you could run, too. But uh, are we sure that you're electable? 
I mean, I was born here in this country, and part of my family tree actually extends in this country ten thousand years or plus. Well, when I say electable, I just mean like, you know, there isn't going to be any interns that come up and say, "Oh yeah, I, w- I was his intern at one of the labs," and you know, uh, you know, none of that stuff. I mean, yeah, I went. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, yeah. We we talked a little bit earlier about some of your uh, past associates, and I'm sure you had some some wild time. We would just want to make sure there's anything that pops up. Well, I'm going to stay out of that that avenue. No, but well, I'll talk about anything you want to know about there, in the lab. There's there's uh, there's no cars uh, off the Chappaquiddick Bridge with your license plate on them or anything. No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, is he? He's going to leave. He's relieving himself behind my shed. He's peeing on your canoe. Well, you don't want to yell out for the neighbors to hear you because I'm not going to know what you're doing. He can't, don't pee in the canoe. Uh, tip a canoe in urine, too. It's like a fire hose. All right. <laughs> We're making him nervous. Go behind the playhouse in the back. Anyway, Matt Costa, why don't we talk That's to you a little bit about uh, about your personal experiences? About my personal experiences? Well, when in we the s- paranormal or just in general? In the paranormal. Um, when we s- came together to, to create this show, I asked you if you'd had any personal experiences, and you're like, not really. Uh, you were coming into things with kind of a skeptical, uh, skeptical belief type of attitude, and it seems like that faded away rather quickly. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you still have skepticism about uh, you know a majority of what we're talking about, but it seems like you are accepting of the possibility of the paranormal. I am way more accepting than I was at the start. Well, what do you think it was that that changed your mind? Uh, pretty sure what. What changed my mind was that actual EVP that we got, that kind of... To be able to actually experience it? Yeah, it kind of, uh, in a way, freaked me out a little bit, you know. It (laughs) it was unexplainable, so... But, I mean, there still could be a scientific explanation to what EVPs are. That's true. I mean, they could just be... I mean, we... Digital technology is still in in its infancy, so we don't really know. In a way, it's... in its infancy. I mean, it's been out for a few years, but yeah, still. Yeah, we, we have no idea, really, what it's capable of doing. Yeah. But, uh... I mean, we don't, we don't know the full extent of satellites and, and uh, all these different radio antennas yeah. and all this stuff. We don't know what it could be doing, you know. For all we know, we could be picking up some sort of uh, football commentation from... Yeah, from... Some yeah. high school football game or something. And... Who and knows? And or as Fritzy mentioned on the message board earlier this week, or maybe it was, uh, you know, I just remember reading somebody talking about EVPs as being uh, thought projected. It was you that was talking about it, Matt Moniz, yeah. You were talking about the possibility of it being just a projection of thought, so. Well, it's not the first time stuff like that's been happening. Like when you and I first met. You were, you were talking about photographs and, and recordings and stuff like that, and I turned you on to Ted Serios. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you had known anything about him prior. Not prior, to, no. Um, now, for those of the listeners that don't know who Ted Serios was, he was a boiler maker from, I believe, Chicago. And uh, he used to produce what what is now termed photographs. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I learned about Ted about 20 years ago, and he would be able to project an image from his head into a film camera of an image, and it would show up on the film. Uh, I mean, he would put the camera up to his head, pull the shutter, and 
project an image into the film. Now, this would go on for uh, rolls and rolls. He would have pictures of his forehead, but, you know, out of a roll of 30, two or three would come out with an actual image of mm-hmm. something. Uh, now, they have yet to be able to explain that. Uh, in one particular thing of his, he actually did it with a television news camera. He projected a moving image into the camera, uh, and the camera actually was moving in close to him. He got aggravated, and he shot this image into the camera, and you see the spiral of image coming in. It focuses, and then you see a corkscrew back into his head. They have yet to be able to explain how that happens. Now, uh, EVP of the same, or thought projections of voices and other images have been recorded throughout the past you know, five decades or more. Uh, so something like this isn't new. Uh, another person that I know that was that had done the same thing or a thoughtograph is uh, Stella Lansing. Now, she's from um, Rhode Island. I had a chance to meet with her about 15 or plus years ago. And uh, she was able to produce a lot of the same things as um, Ted Sirios did. And it's not impossible that... We still have people that have some abilities to do it today, yet with no scientific explanation as to how it happens. And I I think that we could find EVPs do come from the same type of realm, um, but also with some of the question and answer periods that have happened in in them and with some of the information that's come out in them unknowing to the investigators, uh, I, I tend to lean to it's probably something uh, a little bit beyond this plane, but I would agree. If uh, I would definitely agree, we we had Matt Costa loosened up enough to start talking about him about himself a little bit here, and, and uh, Wait, I'm I'm all you you can. I'm you not can. loosened up enough. All right, so you're gonna go for another Natty Ice as as, as Moniz pulls out the Hennessy, the Hen Dog, as he. I'm all out of gold slogger. Well, here's the thing: is I I have a 40 year old bottle of Jack Daniels in the in the cabinet, but oh. nobody's allowed to drink out of it. Nobody's allowed to drink out of it. I like my whiskey like my women. 40 years old. <laughs> I'll go with that. 40 yeah. years old and named Jack. Jack. <laughs> that I won't go with. Okay. So we were talking to you about your own experiences. Uh, uh, have you ever had any paranormal experiences prior to the creation of Spooky uh, South Coast? We're going to go into that, aren't we? Uh, it's up to well, you. If, it's, if you don't feel comfortable uh, sharing it with both Matt and I and the audience. If you want to share it with Matt and I, we'll turn the microphones off. Well, there was that time that uh, I told you about that I came home from school that night. Mm-hmm. But that about, was uh, coming home from school. We're talking post-creation of Spooky South Coast? Yes. I'm talking yeah. pre. Oh, pre. Before the show. Spooky South Coast? I can't actually recall anything exactly paranormal. But you did have an interest in it. I did. I, I always had an interest when I was a kid about, especially cryptozoology, cryptozoology Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. Just uh, coming from the point of view of the world is too big and vast for us to have cataloged everything yet? Yes. And so did you do a lot of research into those subjects and that kind of led you to some borderline stuff on, on ghosts and aliens? or Not so much ghosts, but uh, a lot on aliens and so a lot of the stuff you are coming in fresh too. Yes. The the um, the one one thing, by the way, that I totally 
I don't totally dismiss, but I totally lean against is the uh, idea that cryptids and aliens and ghosts exist on a different plane than us, that they're here all the time and that we just don't, you know, it's like a wavering, not the multiverse theory per se, but the, uh, yeah, yeah, like the, yeah, like a dimensional shift and that's when we see Bigfoot. Look at a book by the guy named Trevor James Constable called Sky Critters. Okay. All right. So I would definitely look into that. Like it's Is that you know, a movie? I, it sounds like Critters? it's Sky yeah. Critters and the Animals of Tomorrow. Critters, right? <laughs> what what uh, Trevor James Constable did is, uh, are you familiar with Wilhelm Reich? Uh, that sounds familiar, yes. Okay. Wilhelm Reich, uh, back in the early 20s, late 30s, discovered what's known today as orgone energy. Uh, he built the one of the first cloud busters. As a matter of fact, he's one of the first scientists that the government went in, shut down his research, took all of his material, and uh, is used in a lot of uh, DARPA materials today. Uh, but what Constable did is take Reich's work one step further. He took his uh, orgone energy uh, devices and then applied uh, infrared camera material to it and through the orgone energy was able to what he claims photograph these sky critters which are entities or biologics that exist in a plane just outside of us and he was able to through combination of using uh, Reich's cloud buster photograph some of these things materials whatever you want to call them in infrared film or uh, IR film now I've replicated a lot of um, Reich's work I've, as a matter of fact the guy that first got me into this uh, Maurice uh, went up to Organon, Maine which is or Rangeley, Maine where uh, Reich was and was a very big devotee of Reich uh, I've read a lot of Reich's material I helped Maurice and stuff build our own little things and, and do my own tests yes I think or, there is something to Orgon. Do I think is exactly what Wright says? No, I think there's more to it than just that. I think it definitely merits more investigation. Well, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. But like I said, Trevor James Constable took that to the next step and was following along the lines of what you were saying. If you want a little bit more information about that, he would be more the man to look into. I'm learning. I, l I like to look at myself as a sponge, and I'm just trying to represent the audience as a whole and ask the questions that I want answered. Um, so that's why when some, you know, I'll come out with some half-crazed crackpot sentence that I say, some statement that I make, and I, I like to be told avenues I can pursue to, to look into that. I mean, if I'm hosting a sports show, do I consider myself an expert? Well, yeah, I'd like to say, gee, I'm in the locker room, I'm at the games, I'm on the field, I see what's going on, and this is my analysis of it. In this field, when dealing with the paranormal, all I'm here as is just the annoying kid that asks all the questions in class. Like, why does it have to be that way? Uh, why is it this? Why is that? How much does this building weigh? Well, you know, does, is this enough home price? You know, things like that. Uh, you know, those type of questions. And that's what I'm trying to got any gum. That's the kind of things that I'm trying to, uh, uh, to answer and to ask. And I think, Matt Costa, when you came into this, um, you kind of realized that you were going to have to have that type of approach to it, you thought, and I can imagine that you thought this with good reason, uh, that I was just going to be, yeah, 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 to everything anybody said, uh, that I would just be, because 
I so am convinced that there's stuff that we don't know about that I'd be willing to buy everything anybody was selling me, smelling what they're cooking, uh, hook, line, and sinker every time. And so you probably thought you were going to have to come into this with a really strong dose of skepticism. Yeah, pretty much. I thought I was going to be um, the straight man in the whole operation, but... Well, I mean, (laughs) straight man, not in terms of comedy, I mean, but like, just like... the hold on a minute, Tim. Let's not uh, you know. Yeah, let's not let's be not out. Discount, discount the uh, other possibilities. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. The, uh, but you must have been surprised, it's though. You, you must have been surprised, though, in the early goings with just the with well. The questions you asked. No, Is not myself. Idea? I'm not. I'm not talking about myself. With the well, you you'd seen me in action at my other job, so you knew that you know asking questions is what I have to do. Sure. Um, and, you know, and to some degree in this chair, you do sacrifice your own knowledge for the benefit of the listeners. Uh, if we have on somebody like Rick Hayes and I ask him a question about, uh, you know, life everlasting, I already know the answer to the question of what he thinks because I read his book as part of my preparation. But, you know, I still want him to tell the audience in his own words and being that voice of the audience. But you needed to come in and be the voice of kind of like reason at the same time to make sure that I didn't go crazy. But did you find that... Uh, with what these guests were bringing to the table, that maybe, you know, it wasn't so crazy after all. Definitely kind of changed my perception on the whole uh, paranormal aspect. Somebody like Keith Johnson, who is very knowledgeable uh, and very uh, experienced in, in what he talks about, and, he, and he, he tells you, he comes in and he comes up to your face and he tells you, I fight demons on a regular basis, nearly daily. And... He makes no money off of it. He makes no living off of it. He does not promote products. He does not promote books. Uh, he teaches a class, but, I mean, that's really, I mean, how much is he making off that class with what South Coast Learning must charge him for the space? So it's like that's a person who you have to look at him and say, this is a person that's devoted his life to this pursuit, and he's a very intelligent guy and a very caring guy, and he's not somebody that's going to just fall into something that's crackpot and half-assed. And and he really seems like, you know, he's dedicated himself to something important. And that's going to make you stop and think that maybe there is a little bit more to what we're talking about. Do you agree? I concur. You concur with with the point I made or the burp? Column A and column B. (laughs) See all of the above. So anyway, so now that that covers a little bit of your life pre-spooky South Coast, which I'm sure was nowhere near as exciting. And, uh, and uh, you didn't have a nickname. You weren't known as the Silent Assassin then. No, I was, uh, I was known as Voltron. Voltron, Evil yeah, Matt, uh, Evil Matt, Horrible Matt. Matt. <laughs> which uh, did he tell you the story of Horrible Matt? We can we can tell that real quick. For years we called him Evil Matt just because. He was evil. He's got fangs. I mean, he just wasn't evil looking. He's not evil in the least bit. He's probably one of the nicest people I know. Uh, but he just he looked know me very well, doesn't he? <laughs> he just looked dark and sinister, so we called him Evil Matt. And uh, my mother-in-law didn't quite grasp what it was that we were saying. And when he'd walk by their house, he'd be like, oh, there goes Evil Matt. And so one day she saw him walking by, and she's like, oh, look, horrible Matt's walking by. I'm like, no, he's not horrible. How could you say that about him? He's not horrible at all. He's only evil. <laughs> So, anyway, that's the, the, the brief tale of that. But the, the Silent Assassin thing was kind of just off the cuff one night, right? Yeah. That was kind of like, yeah, because you don't say anything. It's true. So yeah. it was... Except on this podcast. Well, that's because uh, you've had... because I've had some natty li- ices. Liquid courage. It's a fine night. 
Find Natty Ices put out by Anheuser-Busch. Natural. If they're listening, then they could send me a case at P.O. Box Nat- 3271, okay. Wareham, Massachusetts, 02571. Yes, and of course, we have contacts in the Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch uh, uh, brewery. So. Or even if they want to give me some free tickets to Bush Gardens. <laughs> even if they want to just give me um, a POS uh, point-of-sale uh, thing of Elvira for Halloween because we are going to have Elvira on the show. We haven't really talked about that much, but yes, Elvira. We're going to do a Twilight Zone show with uh, both Mark Zakree, who wrote the Twilight Zone Companion, as well as Bill Mooney, the actor, the famous actor from not only Lost in Space but that classic um, "It's a Good Life" Anthony episode of the uh, Twilight Zone. I think we're going to have a special guest host that night, um, besides the fact that Ernie Bach wants to come on, but. I think my wife Jennifer might sit in on that one because honest she's engine? honest engine, and my dad Al, Big Al might show up too because they are both very diehard fans of the Twilight Zone as as we all are, and uh, we're also working on just a few other guests. Nothing I can really discuss right now as a, as a possibility of, and that's you know, and, and we were talking before Silent Assassin Matt Costa about how. You know, pre-Spooky South Coast, a lot of that was absent from your life. Uh, and you've had some experiences in recent weeks. Um, it's almost like... Maybe a little. It's trying to prove itself to you. Now, before, we don't have to get into specifics um, for it, but what I do want to bring up the possibility of is a lot of times people will tell you that if you start to delve too much into the subject, it will consume you. Uh, it may... For every step you take towards the unknown, it takes two towards you. But you're talking about the actual unknown in that circumstance. I'm talking about the illusion of the unknown. I'm talking about, um, for example, you you read so much about a subject uh, like the shadow people. You know, when we went to that Capers meeting on the shadow people, Deb talked about how it happened to her where she had done so much. She had a shadow person encounter uh, the same day she went to present this uh, presentation and she outright questioned whether it was an actual occurrence or whether it was she had done so much research and thought so much about him that she thought she had that and so you know I bring up the possibility that these experiences that you've been having I mean is it possible that it might be because you have spent so much of your time and energy dealing with the paranormal as of late that maybe it's made you susceptible or is it like if you keep calling the cat eventually the cat does come to you well, i mean either way it could be either either side i mean it could possibly be myself manifesting these uh paranormal activities but and i'm not even talking the, about I don't know, the, i'm not talking about like even on a on a brainwave level like in in some sort of some form of your subconscious you're yeah. making this stuff happen i just mean is it making you jump to that conclusion when it might not be the obvious most obvious possibility. In a way, I might feel that it's because I have somewhat of a disbelief that it's kind of trying to prove itself to me, in a way. And is it doing a good job? In a way, yes. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I definitely <laughs> think that a year ago, uh, if this kind of stuff was happening, he wouldn't have said anything to anybody. You, you wouldn't have come to us and... and no, even now, it took me... A couple of weeks to tell it you did. guys about it, it yeah and it's and but you know we call ourselves a spooky south coast family but outside of this radio show we are family we are very close and way prior to the show i mean we've been we've known each other for about 10 years now maybe even more 
And sure. and so for you to not even have that comfort level, I mean, we've talked about everything, everything, like just the most mundane thoughts. Well, we're, we're in a position uh, working together uh, pretty much every day where it's like we just talk and talk and talk because if we don't, there's really nothing else to we had a conversation about family matters. <laughs> we did. We talked about uh, well, you know, when family matters jumped the shark, and we we talked about the incredible disappearing children, and you know, we we had a good long discussion about TGIF, and <laughs> and but just anything. I mean, to our favorite game, who would win in a fight? You know, we play that game pretty much on a daily basis. Who would win in a fight, Webster or Gary Coleman? I mean, Webster, yeah. Well, I mean, we we this is what we do. Gary so, Coleman's Arnold. Gary Coleman's arm. No, Arnold. Oh, he's armed? Oh, yeah, because he's that security guard job. That's true. So is Todd Bridges. So, uh, and, but not Dana Plato. So, we're going, uh, getting back to the. Anyway, continue. So, we talk all the time. I mean, and I would think that you would feel pretty comfortable talking to me about just about anything. So, to have this kind of stuff happen to you, I mean, a year ago, you wouldn't even have mentioned it. Well, I, I don't know. This experience that I've had recently, I'm still in, I'm still. I try to find the answers to them before I go to you guys. And you try to come up with every possibility yeah. of what we might say. Because I don't want to essentially sound stupid. Well, see, that's the thing. <laughs> is he knows I'm going to believe whatever he says right away. Oh, yeah? Oh, that's crazy. Jesus, we got to go set up an investigation. we got to do this. We gotta do... We'll do some ITC. Uh, which, by the way, I realized uh, earlier today that I have some pretty good equipment for doing ITC work. If you want to do it. I think it's forced myself, um, but I mean, if I uh, if you're not familiar with ITC, it's uh, inter is it inter inter trans communication or yeah yeah it's it basically like uh, it's you, there's two ways to do it if, uh, essentially is you turn off a television and you take a still picture of of the screen and see if anything manifests in the in the screen and another way to do it is to take you know how when you point a camera at the monitor for that such camera. It creates multiple images. Uh, that's another way of doing it, is you do that and you see what appears in the images. I think that when you do that, you're opening up yourself to matrix matrixing, uh, to creating uh, order out of chaos. Really yeah, so if, if anything, if I'm going to really believe in ITC, it's got to be a matter of, like, something's going to come up and bang on the screen like Ernest. Hey, Vern, you know? The brain looks for what's known as bilateral symmetry. Mm -hmm. Okay, things in random order are generally not bilateral. They're chaotic just by nature. Now, when you start seeing a pattern repeat in it, uh, gets into uh, Benoit Mandelbrot's uh, chaos theory. I don't need to go down that road, mm -hmm. but um, you start seeing bilateral symmetry. That's the brain's recognition of... I. When you look at a face, it has two halves. You're looking at it dead on, that is what's known as bilateral symmetry. Now, bilateral symmetry is generally a sign of life. Very few things are have bilateral symmetry other than uh, certain uh, minerals like crystals and things like that will have symmetry and things like that, but that's due to the mathematics based on yeah, that's how, how that's the crystals are formed. Yeah. Right. But generally in life, or living organisms, you have bilateral symmetry. Most other things, 
form to the chaos, other chaotic things that are not bilateral. They're very chaotic and have no real definition of form to them. Then how do you explain um, when women have one boob bigger than the other or when a man has one ball slightly larger than the other? That has to do with dominance. Okay. The dominant side, one one side larger than, <laughs> you know, being used more no, than I, I'm not. I'm not trying to belittle what you're saying. No, I'm, uh, uh, you're, of course you're making valid points. I just... I, I, every once in a while, I have to remind myself that this is a podcast and I can say things like that. Balls. One hug high, one hug low. <laughs> Log loose and full of juice. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about balls here on Spooky South Coast. I hope the uh, the you kids balls, are I do have balls. I like balls. Oh. <laughs> That's a different show as Moni's uh, slides his chair away. Uh, so, yeah. So we, we I mean... Like I said, we don't want to. You know what? I don't really want to talk about the things that have been happening to you because I don't want to put it out there as. I don't want to give anybody any ideas. You know what I mean? Like said anything that's really happening. So. Well, that's what I mean. I don't want people to start trying to mess with you. You know what I mean? Okay. So maybe it doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'm. Making too much of this. You know what I mean? Somebody hears this and they hear what's going on with you and they try to, like, I don't know, mess with you. It's not so much that. It's just that now, more than likely, he's actually paying attention and noticing that these things are happening. Whereas in before, a couple of years ago, he would have just looked at it and just walked on and just put it out of his mind. Do you think, do you think that's possible? Do you think maybe this kind of stuff has happened to you in the past and you just uh, didn't really pay attention to it or dismissed it? Possibly, I don't know. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Give one example: the whole laying uh, things out on the counter of, of my my what is it? Breakfast nook? Is that what it's called? Yeah, you've been you've been <laughs> laying stuff down on the counter. Yeah, and, and, and then I turn around for a quick second, and then everything's on the floor. So. And then we're talking uh, no breezes, uh, no, no no windows are open really. So the dog uh, not jumping. I mean, you have a big no. dog. So if your dog yeah, was gonna, he's kind of lazy. Well, I don't want to use his name on the air, but let's call him Sprocket. Sprocket's oh, pretty Sprocket. lazy. <laughs> oh, Sprocket! <laughs> All right. So anyway, but what I mean though is when I say your dog is large, if your dog was gonna yeah. jump up on the counter and knock that stuff off, you would hear the dog do so. Yeah, he's a little he's a little too small for that. Too short to jump up. To okay. Jump up on the counter. But he's but. But he's all. It's not like we're talking about a uh, a, a chihuahua or something where yeah. it can like get around softly without you hearing it either. No, it's just so. It's uh, kind of weird happening. Yeah, I mean, and that's just you know one thing. I mean, thankfully, uh, you know, knock on wood, for the most part, I've been clean, uh, and I wanted to stay that way because I, I have a young child. But that's why are well, let's hope so. That's why things are clean. Let's let's hope that that's the reason. Uh, I also do feel that I have uh, some protective energies surrounding me. Um, if yeah, it's called love of family. But I mean, on, well, on top of that, I, I do, I do feel that that is present. But I mean, on, on top of that, I have, uh, we have a bit of. I think we, uh, the show in general has a bit of a guardian angel watching over it, um, because you know we we joke about it all the time, but things do seem to work out. For those who who might not have caught on to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show last week. Uh, we were running seriously behind. I mean, just because Matt Koss and I just had like the day from hell, um, just things weren't working out right, and we were running seriously behind. When it came time to print out all the notes for the show, the Week in Weird Stories, uh, no ink in my computer, the other computer that we had access to, no ink in that computer. So here it is, we're arriving at the studio 
So that explains what happened to me after I left the show. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, that could have been part of the the same thing of just the the bad karma involved. Um, I haven't really gotten into my experiences, and I'm sure there might be one or two people out there that might want to know. Uh, so we'll get into that. But before we do, it's time for a little something we like to call The Week in Weird. Insert music here. No, we're gonna add the music in. So if you do that, it doesn't it doesn't really work out. Cut that out. Let me let me give Moniz his uh, his weekend weird story too. But uh, I'll start it off here because this is big news as as we're sitting out here uh, in the yeah I know it's hard. It's not a little and, light. And if you fuck up the sentence, just start over with the sentence. Yeah, that's it. Because it's totally edit editing. At the wonder and the magic. Of wait, like wait till you hear what wait till you hear how I read. Uh, Without the benefit of being in the studio, uh, uh, Earth's moon. Earth's moon could become a planet by Robert Roy Britt. Space.com's. Here they come. They're coming for you, Monies. Space.com senior science writer Robert Roy Britt. If astronomers approve a newly proposed planet definition next week, things could get really strange. Sure, asteroid Ceres will become a planet. Pluto's moon Charon will become a planet. But we're talking really strange. Eventually, if Earth and its moons survive long enough, the moon will have to be reclassified as a planet, said Gregory Laughlin, an extrasolar planet researcher at the University of California, Santa Cruz. The new definition, proposed this week by the International Astronomical Union, or the IAU, basically says every round object orbiting the sun is a planet, unless it orbits another planet. But there is a big caveat. If the center of gravity, called the barycenter, is that right, barycenter? Barycenter. I'm sorry. Well, we'll just go with the barycenter. Is outside the larger object, then the smaller object is a planet. So again, if the center of gravity, called the barycenter, is outside the larger object, then the smaller object is a planet. That wording elevates... I'm sorry. That wording elevates Pluto's moon Charon to planethood, an idea some astronomers have criticized. But here's the thing. Earth's moon was born in a catastrophic collision more than 4 billion years ago. It started out very close to the planet, but has been moving away ever since. It's currently drifting away at about 1.5 inches, or 3.74 centimeters, if you want to be more closer to actual scientific measurement, every year. For now, the system's barycenter is inside Earth, but that will change. If the Earth and Moon do survive, then the barycenter will eventually move outside the Earth as the Moon recedes, Laughlin told Space.com. At that point, the Moon would be promoted to planetary status. None of this would occur for a few billion years, and Earth and the Moon would have to survive a host of remote catastrophe scenarios, along with predicted swelling of the Sun into a red giant, which Laughlin and others have previously said might engulf and vaporize our planet. So you have that to look forward to. Other astronomers have noted that it is possible there are three object systems yet to be found in the outer solar system. If they are all around and have certain barycenters that, I'm sorry, if they are all around and have certain barycenter thing happening, then they'd be called triple planets under the new definition. And it gets even stranger than that. Astronomers expect to find hundreds of Pluto-sized objects in the outer solar system if even one has a satellite that is round and which has a certain eccentric orbit meaning the two objects come very close together at one point and then diverge greatly, then the barycenter could dip inside the larger object during the part of the orbit, Laughlin explained. In such a case, the smaller object would be defined as a moon part of the time and as a planet the rest of the time. 
A vote on the new definition is scheduled for August 24th at the IAU meeting in Prague. So basically what's happening is this new planet that's been discovered. I mean, there's been talk about Planet X for many years and, and the fact that there was other planets in our solar system, and they were laughed at and they were dismissed. I'm sorry? Zachariah Stitch and 12 planets. And, and people, you know, put, you know, whatever, you know. We have our nine. We have our, 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 our uh, mnemonic device. Um, our very educated mother just served us nine pizzas, not 12 pizzas. So to start adding in these different planets. And, now, uh, and if you look at it, it even kind of changes the... Uh, we looked earlier on Space.com this evening. It kind of changes the alignment of the planets as well because Ceres comes between Mars and, and Jupiter. So if, to be adding in these planets... and Basically, the, the way this whole came about was because they wanted to determine whether or not Pluto was actually a planet. And so when they started talking about it and it, it became clear that they had to expand the definition of planet to make sure Pluto remained a planet, it opened the door for Xena to become a planet. And so now Ceres and Sharon, they have the possibility of becoming a planet as well. What does it really mean in the grand scheme of things? I, I, I don't think it really matters how we're classifying these things uh, in terms of, you know, what their actual title is. Well, where Pluto is, there, it's right on the inner edge of what's known as the Kuiper Belt. The Kuiper Belt is a, a bunch of material similar to the asteroid belt that is between Mars and Jupiter. There are a number of items, and that's where I'll use the term items until we get a firm definition of what they're talking about here, that are larger than Pluto, but they have a far more eccentric orbit than Pluto does. Now, is it, is, is it size? Is it the orbit? You know, this is what they're trying to determine. What defines the planet? Is it, like I said, the size? Is it the orbit? Is it the combination of the two? Now, the, you, you can call me ignorant here for, for asking this question, but uh, we know that the Earth uh, revolves around the sun in a path, and it also has its own revolution uh, around its own uh, its own self, I guess you could say. Is that, I mean, is that a... Well, you have it, its rotational axis on it, uh, if that's what you're I, talking I, I mean, about. As it's rotating around the sun, it's also turning, hence, you know, we have the year, the day, uh, does every other planet that's in the solar system have its own revolution? Yes. So, would these other bodies have that own revolution as well? Yes. Does a moon? Does the moon revolve itself, or is it just how it revolves around us? It revolves around us, but it also turns on its own axis. Now, what what's really interesting about our moon is its axis of rotation matches the same rotation of the Earth. Now, the reason for that is actually the mass of the Earth and the gravitation that it's affecting. That's what causes it to turn at the same, or actually a much slower rate than our planet turns. Uh, gas giants. Gas giants like Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, whatever, they all turn as well. But their rotation is much slower because they're much larger. Um, part of the problem that they're having with what they're talking about there is it's not just the size, it's not just the orbit, it's also like you're saying their rotation and further out you go depending upon your size and what you're made of whether you're made of gas or ice or rock, you will turn faster or slower depending upon how fast you're going around in orbit I don't know if you realize this but this 
the sun that we orbit also is in an orbit of other stars. No, I did not realize that. Yep. So, uh, anything that we can pull out as a factor to define planet is, you know, obviously ever-changing because as we learn more about the solar system, we learn more about what other bodies do. I think that the... Put it this way. When I think about space, I'm like, that is one giant motherfucker. So I don't really see a need to... Yeah, I said motherfucker. It's I don't, a podcast. I don't really see a need to... I don't see what the benefit is of being able to classify one way or another. Um, the only thing that I can think of is if like, they're doing it as a uh, value system to determine what has priority of investigation, of what has priority of uh, discovery. Uh, I think if you can get something out there and it lands on another substance, you can collect data and collect samples and, and whatever else you can do. I don't care whether it's a planet, a moon, a star, uh, an asteroid. I, I just I want to find out what is on that body and, and what it's made up of. I don't I don't care. I mean, but so many scientists are up in arms about this about the possibility of being more than nine planets, and it's it's kind of like what we talk about here. It's it's it doesn't fit what's already been proven, and it doesn't fit their what what's proven. No, I mean I understand that, but it, it doesn't fit what's been accepted. There you go. So it, it's it's just. It's, it's not ignorance, obviously, because they're they're much more intelligent than that. But it does have an ignorance factor to it, and it does have an ego factor to it's, it. It's complacency. Yeah, it's like we're happy with what we have. Right. You know, we're we're very. It's like, you know, it's, it's, we have nine toppings that we can get on our pizza. Don't start adding a couple more toppings. You know, we like the nine that we have. Well, the industry I work. Because you know, the universe is nothing but a giant fucking pizza. I hope you know that. All right. Cool. cool. With extra cheese in our case, right? Yeah, it doesn't come with the free kickers. All right, go ahead, sir. Well, in, in the industry I work in, I notice a lot of complacency because they are so used to things being that the way that they are. Even though evidence and data has shown that, okay, what we thought about 50 years ago is no longer applicable, applicable. we are way off, but we still have ardent, hard-nosed people, even sh- when we show them, you know, facts, data, straight up that they're wrong, they still refuse to accept it. And that's within the normal realms of science. Uh, Not Never mind what, we, what we're what we dealing yeah, with Yeah, in terms of beyond the normal. Um, Matt, are we, we're still recording, right? Of course. Okay, what time is it? Uh, what time are we up to recording? No, what time uh, clockwise? 10.30? Alright, we're going to have to wrap this up by 11, I think. I don't want to be out here to yeah. keep it up the we're, we're about two hours of raw material. Okay, well, we'll let it that down. Pretty good. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if, whatever, if we erase all the swears and the lewd language and everything, it's about 10 minutes long. Okay. <laughs> and the fires. Alright, uh, Matt Costa, what do you have for us uh, Week and Weird-wise? Week and Weird. Hey, you guys handle this part. I'm going to go take a piss. From the Associated Press, in Turn of Maine. Residents are wondering if an animal found dead over the weekend may have... Residents are wondering if an animal found dead over the weekend may be the mysterious creature that has mauled dogs, frightened residents, and been the, the subject of local legend for half of a generation. The animal is found near power lines along Route 4 and... The animal is found near power lines along Route 4 in Turner, Maine on Saturday... 
apparently struck by a car while chasing a cat. The carcass was photographed and inspected by several people who live in the area, but nobody is sure exactly what it is. By the way, this is hammered, weak, and weird. Hammered, weak, and weird, so I apologize, Timothy, for all this editing that you have to do while you are taking a pet. God, we're not Exactly. Praise the Lord. Anyway, for the past 15 years, actually pause, for the past 15 years, residents across Androjaskoshkin County have reported seeing, <laughs> past 15 years, residents across Androjaskoshkin County have reported seeing and hearing a mysterious animal with chilling in the strong. Jiggle balls. For the past 15 years, residents along Astrakhan County have reported seeing and hearing a mysterious animal with chilling, monstrous cries and eyes that glow in the night. The animal has been blamed for attacking and killing a Doberman Pinscher and a Rottweiler over the past couple of years. People from Litchfield, Sabacus, Green, Turner, Lewiston, and Auburn, Maine have come forward to speak of a mysterious monster that roams the woods. Nobody knows for sure what it is, and theories have ranged from a hyena or dingo to fisher or kai dog. Insert. Dingo ate my baby. Anyway, an offspring of a coyote and a wild dog. Now people are asking if the mysterious beast and the animal killed over the weekend are one and the same. Lauren Coleman, a Portland author, and cryptozoologist said it's unlikely that the animal was anybody's pet. After reviewing photos of the carcass, Coleman said that he was bothered by the animal's ears and snout. It reminded him of a case years ago in northern Maine in which an animal was shot by a hunter that could not be identified. In the end, wildlife officials got a DNA analysis that showed the animal was rare, was a rare wolf-dog hybrid, he said. Jesus Christ, that's a long fucking story. <laughs> Continuing, Michelle O'Donnell of Turner spotted the animal near her yard about a week before it was Still killed. page one. Said... I'm just hogging. Michelle O'Donnell of Turner spotted the animal near her near her yard about a week before it was killed. She, saw, she thought it was a hybrid mutant or something. It was evil, evil looking. It had a horrible stench she had never seen before. Or it was she had never seen a stench like that in her life. <laughs> it was evil. evil she was it. looking for the stink line. <laughs> like this. It was a horrible stench she had never smelt before. And her husband, Michael O'Donnell, said that it looked like a half rodent, half dog. It was charcoal gray, weighed about 40 to 50 pounds, and had a bushy tail, short snout, short eel... It was charcoal gray. No, don't go that back. Let's put it this way. Just say this. We'll have pictures of the beast up on SpookySouthCast.com. We'll have pictures of the beast. If, if I'm not you buzzing yeah. to remember to do it. I love shitting all over him when he's reading The Week and Weird because I can't do that on the radio. It's impolite. Uh, it's totally polite, a podcast. Anyway. Anyway, basically, okay, everybody so. said that it's basically something out of a Stephen King story. From Rounders. The 
man who made the Statue of Liberty appear to vanish may soon claim to do the same for the unsightly bags and wrinkles. Master Illusionist David Copperfield. Master Illusionist David Copperfield said he has found the Fountain of Youth in the Southern Bahamas amidst a cluster of four tiny islands he has recently bought from $50 million or 26.4 million pounds. One of his islands in the Exma chain, Bouchouquet, is a private resort that rents for up to 300000 a week, and the other islands serve as buffers to keep prying eyes away from the celebrity guests on the white sand beaches. Copperfield is coy about his reasons for the fountain of the claim, but the man best known for entertaining with grand deception insists his archipelago also contains the legendary waters that bestow perpetual youth. Seriously. I've discovered a true phenomena, he told Routers in a telephone interview. You can take dead leaves, they come in contact with the water, they become fully they become full of life again. Bugs or insects that are near death come in contact with the water, they'll fly away. It's amazing it's an amazing thing. Very, very exciting. Copperfield, who turns fifty next month, said he had hired biologists and geologists to examine its potential effects on humans, but he's not inviting visitors to swim or drink of it just yet. David Copperfield's full of shit, by the way. But he has some real hotties that go on stage with him. Well, see, that's the thing, is he's married to Claudia Schiffer. So he's making her believe he's from the Fountain of Youth, so she doesn't be like, oh my god, David Copperfield, you're old. And you're not that... Are, are you... You'd be amazed how much money can make you look young. Well, that's true. I mean, uh, the think of how many... He's spending $50 million on a pair of so islands. Many, so many celebrities that, uh, that spend all kinds of money for that kind of stuff. It's just... I don't know. Are we going to get back into our experiences here? I want to hear a little bit more about what you've had happen. Uh, I figured Because you would... never really talked about that. I figured that would happen sooner or later. Well, I mean, I'll talk about it amongst ourselves. I mean, just... Um, I think out of what's happened to the three of us, your non-investigational experiences, um, well, actually, no, I can't say that. You're anymore. talking my personal experiences? Yeah, well, I mean, starting with the one that, that, that you were talking about uh, earlier in the show, like, that's pretty intense, um, a little bit more intense. That's just my first. Well, I mean, but I'm just saying, like, uh, just in terms of the things that have happened, mine might not be as strong, but it was still enough to make me start questioning and unlike your initial encounter that you were talking about earlier, um, mine have been verified. Mine were experienced communally. So, that, Sorry to interrupt, but that was my only experience that I had that wasn't witnessed by other people. I think that if I had had such an experience first on my own, uh, that I might not have... Sorry to say, but that's actually my one of my very first memories. Next memory after that is Neil Armstrong landing on well landing on the moon, which uh, well actually yeah. Armstrong's landing on the moon was first. This is my second memory that I definitely remember. Pretty up. old. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Almost forty. Yeah, I mean it's it's the, the uh, that was a great show when they landed on the moon. That was great. I love the sets were really convincing. And they're no, still looking for what six hours worth of uh, film that. 
is missing since 1969. Oh, it's not missing. It's They know where it is. Yeah, They're the NSA like, vaults. But uh, going back to my experience, let's, let's say I was probably about 14, 13, 14, 15 in that range. Uh, I was at my... And and part of the reason I didn't talk about this, by the way, is that I had not yet talked about it with the, the family members that were involved, um, mainly because we had just kind of lost touch for a couple of years. And I reconnected with them uh, recently, and they said that it's okay to talk about it. They might even join us at some point in the future on Spooky South Coast to share their, their experiences from their end of it. But I was probably, you know, in that early adolescent age, uh, and my, my cousins and my aunt and uncle, they, they lived in Halifax, and they lived in a home. I can say it because they don't live there anymore. They lived on Thompson Street in Halifax, um, which yeah, has a cemetery, a very old cemetery right at the top of it where it connects to 106. And in that cemetery, my cousin Amy uh, used to go into that cemetery with her friends, and they thought it was cool to play with Ouija boards and, and do cemetery rubbings, you know, just typical teenager stuff. Cemetery yeah. rubbing is cool, playing with the Ouija board in it. Not a good yeah, idea. but you know what I mean. It's like the, the the trappings that a lot of teenagers fall into. And she was probably about nine or ten at the time, maybe a little older. And uh, unbeknownst to me, she had gone into the cemetery and actually made a connection with something. And whatever did it make a connection with her? Well, I mean, uh, I don't remember the exact extent of the conversation. They just uh, basically told her that there was something present. All right, here we go. It hasn't been around for a while, but here it comes. It's coming back. Uh, anyway, so the something was present, the extent of which they didn't realize. She didn't say anything to anybody. She kind of kept it to herself. You know, being a 10-year-old kid or whatever, you don't want to get in trouble for being in the cemetery playing with the Ouija board. So. The way it happened is my aunt and uncle uh, had gone out for the evening, and my other aunt, my Aunt Aline, was babysitting us. She was maybe twice my age, so she's probably like 28, 29, but she, you know, you met her, she's a little bit, you know, she's like a big kid, well, little kid, she's she's like four foot nine, but she's just a very cool person, she's very laid back, she's just like one of us kids, and so we were all in the living room watching a movie or whatever, and it's dark, they, like I said, they live in Halifax, in the middle of nowhere, the, their entire backyard is a brief patch of woods and then a huge cornfield, so like... There's a neighbor next to them and a couple around, but it's not really a heavily populated area. So we are in the living room, all three of us watching television, and we hear the bulkhead doors to the cellar slam up and down. So my cousin, being raised as a uh, alpha male, um, you know, protect the home, uh, he runs to my uncle's bedroom and he grabs the shotgun off the, off the wherever they kept it which was all right because you know he was shown how to use it and everything and he was very well versed and and how to handle a weapon so it's not like we were worried um I, so he runs out there to see who's out there there's nobody there it's i think it was a night like this like a warm summer night um it was definitely summer because the only reason i was there is because i was staying over at my grandparents house which i did every summer and i went with my but anyway that's that's kind of beside the point. That tells how you knew you were there. Yeah, I'm just trying to set the scene and set the mood a little bit here. Um, so we are, we, we run outside, we don't see anybody, whatever, you know, chalk it up to the wind or, or an animal, lots of animals around there. So we go back inside the house, go back to what we're doing, a little while later, same thing happens. Well, what's the case here? What's going on? 
So we run downstairs into the basement, armed, of course, and we look and see around the basement, see if there's anybody down there messing with anything. The basement door is locked from the inside. There's nobody in the basement. It's pretty easy to, to blanket the basement and make sure there's nobody hiding. Um, so we, we, we clear the scene there. Uh, the door is locked. It's got one of those, like the old-fashioned barn doors. You slide it across the two yeah. brackets. So it's like a, it's got a full two-by-four across the door. So there's no way anybody's getting in. Um, and also, the I believe that the, the bulkhead was padlocked on the outside. I can't be totally sure about that. So we go back to what we're doing. We're like, everything's secure now. There's nobody around. It's probably somebody playing a trick. Uh, so we we go back to what we're doing, and... We hear it again, and we make it outside or to the window just in time to actually see the doors physically moving. And that's when we're like, whatever's going on here, it's pretty fucked up. So it was kind of just a turn on all the lights and let's stay up and talk and ignore what's going on until my aunt and uncle come home. And nothing else was ever really spoken about after that. Uh, I never thought about it again, really. I don't think I might have told a few people that it was kind of strange, but I never really thought anything about it. Uh, to be honest with you, I think when I left, I think it was probably my cousin fucking with me, my cousin Tommy. He would, he's kind of like, I was like the real teaser when we were growing up, and it, at some point he got bigger than me and, and stronger than me, and you know he would have fun with me because he knew I was kind of gullible about stuff. So, I thought that's all that it was, uh, and then maybe a year or two later, I went and I stayed at his house again because we were we were close and we had a lot of similar interests, so we hung out a lot. So I'm staying at his house and. And he would sleep in his waterbed, and I would sleep on the floor next to his bed, um, like right in front of the door to the hallway. And I notice him pushing on his closet door before he goes to bed, like for an extended period of time, um, like just pushing. Like, you know, like when you're making sure that something's shut? And so I said to him, what are you doing? And he says, I'm doing my, my exercises, you know, like. This is what I do every night before I go to bed. So I say, all right. I go to bed. I wake up in the middle of the night, which years ago was a frequent occurrence for me. Uh, and uh, I've spoken before about it on the show. I, I had what I call night visitor syndrome, uh, where I would wake up and I immediately suspected there was somebody in the house. Um, so I would wake up and I'd hear jangling. And so I assume that it's just the dog. They had a dog that had a, a metal chain link collar type thing. What's his license and the tags? Sorry, I'm sorry, you're going to say something. I was going to say typical, yeah. you know, dogs rattling their yeah, I think it was like a tags. like a black lab. So it's a you know good size. Not huge, but... So I assume that's all it is. And, you know, kind of to confirm my suspicions, the dog does come up and lay next to me on the floor. And the dog is looking... Uh, yeah, all right. My wife being a pain in the ass. Um... So, uh, anyway, so the dog's sitting next to me, and the dog's, like, kind of watching something move back and forth. Uh, whatever. Dogs do that kind of stuff. So, I I'm just laying there, and the next day when I wake up, I, I mention it to my cousin, and he's like, oh, the dog sees stuff that isn't there. You know, like, the dog just, like, follows stuff around, don't pay any attention to it, a lot of shadows, a lot of things of that nature. So, um... It'd be a lot easier if you weren't yelling back here. We're at least talking softly. We're wrapping it up. We're we're almost done. You can shut the light off if it'll make you feel better.
because we're in the process of doing it. And drafting it doesn't make it go faster. Anyway, remind me to edit that part out. Boy, we're talking about my personal experiences here. So you've you've heard a lot of them. Dog seeing things in the room. So and and I should I neglected to mention there was a spare bedroom in this house. It was a long, single story house, and there was a long hallway with two bedrooms on one side, and one bedroom and the bathroom on the other side. My aunt and uncle had a room on the opposite side of the house, uh, which the kitchen and the living room were between, and. You know, there's this long hallway, and seeing shadows walk across the middle between the two back bedrooms was not uncommon. And there was also that third spare bedroom that nobody went into in the dark, because it was kind of freaky, and my, my uncle had these three, like, those statues of the three stooges with the huge heads and little bodies, and they were kind of creepy, so nobody went in there. So we, uh, so I'm laying there, and the, I mean, I wake him up, and we wake up, and I tell him what happens, and he's like, yeah, the dog sees things, and that isn't there. So I don't think anything of it, again... Um, but then later on between that and my next visit, the family starts discussing kind of like, oh, did you hear that they think they have a ghost? You know, kind of like that talking behind their back type of thing. And so, yeah, you can drink that if you want. So, uh, you know, it's, it's like, it makes me more aware, put it this way, the next time I went there, it makes me nervous almost to go there. So, um. I'm sleeping there, and I, I do see the dog following something that isn't there. I see the cat following something that isn't there. I finally say to my cousin, hey, what's up with the bedroom door thing? And he tells me it's because it flies open in the middle of the night. Uh, and either something's going in or something's coming out, but he doesn't want it in his room, so we make sure the door's closed so that if something does happen, he knows that it wasn't accidental, whatever. And it turns out my other cousin, the female, Amy, she was having the same type of situation where... Uh, her closet doors would, she had sliding doors, and they would slide open all night long. And the cat would sit there on the edge of her bed and watch something move back and forth. Or apparently somebody finally saw the shadow itself moving between the two bedrooms. So, I mean, that was enough to really start freaking me out. But then it started coming to the point where water faucets would turn on in the middle of the night. Um, you would hear water running, and you would run out to see if the faucets were on because it would sound like something's going to overflow and there was nothing running. Uh, my aunt slept with the TV on all night long because uh, she grew up on a very busy street. And to be out there in the country, she couldn't fall asleep. So that's what she told us. And I think I think I suspect a little bit she did it so she couldn't hear any phenomena that was going on. Um, you know, s- steps on the cellar. Or write it off as the TV. Yeah, steps on the cellar stairs. You know, things to that effect. They did a little bit of research. And apparently they found out that there were two mentally challenged young boys that were killed on that street uh, back in the 1800s. They couldn't work the farm because they couldn't pull their own weight, so the father killed them rather than feed them. And they were just haphazardly buried. So is the story that I had heard. So that combined with the experiences of my other cousin in the graveyard with the Ouija board kind of started to put everything into perspective. And once that started happening... Like and they started coming up with a, a basis for it. In my mind, it was like, okay, this is a definite, real thing. And uh, so, I started to, you know, be apprehensive about going over there. I didn't want to go over there anymore. The family started talking about it more and more, even though they didn't confirm it. Um, nobody really went to them about it per se. Uh, stories came about that they were trying to get on unsolved mysteries. They were trying to make money off it. Whatever the situation was, people as they sometimes do, were talking trash about it. And so 
it wasn't until maybe four years ago, maybe, I actually had a sit-down with my aunt and uncle, and I talked to them about it. And my uncle, um, I know that Matt Costa has met my uncle Tom, and he is not the kind of guy who is going to um, say that this stuff is real. You know, he's going to be like, eh, nah, nah, that's crap. You know, he, he'll call bullshit faster than anybody will. But, or create bullshit, either way. I mean, he's a, he's, he's a funny guy. But, you know, he thinks that it was legit. And, you know, I, it was enough to really get me thinking that it was something real. I don't mean to keep going on here, but... And so, um... And then years later now, my, my grandmother's house, my mother's mother's house, was kind of like the center point for my entire... My bo- I'm sorry, I don't mean to be boring. I hope I'm not boring. Oh, you're doing good. Keep uh, going. The, it, it's the center point for my entire family. It's, you know, where everybody had grown up. And, and uh, so when my grandmother died, it was kind of hard. Like, first my grandfather died, then my grandmother died. But my aunt was still living with them at the time, and my aunt Eileen. So she stayed there behind, and my cousin Amy ended up moving in with her. So, you know, nobody really let go of it. Uh, I had to take my wife to Randolph one time for a test, a teaching test. And I went to visit my aunt in the morning while she was at the test. And... Uh, I had a dream the night before of my grandmother coming to me in this dream. And in this dream, my grandmother was visiting with me at the kitchen table like she would have if she was alive, even though she'd been gone for maybe two years at this point. So it was my first time having a dream where I communicated with somebody from the other side and telling me she's proud of me, she's happy with what she, you know. She met Jen while she was still alive, but she's still telling me, like, what a wonderful woman she is and, and giving me little clues about the future, telling me, uh, she told me, she came to me in a dream later on and told me that we were going to have a little boy. Uh, so I actually had one of those premonition dreams where you can tell like what the sex of the child is going to be because I had a dream that my father's father died. And of course, anybody that delves into dream interpretation, if somebody dies in a dream, it means that actually somebody's going to have a baby. I mean, essentially. And uh, whoever dies is kind of like a hint into the sex of the child. But anyway, that's that's beside the point, so... This this house was like the centering point for my family, and my mother's side of the family seems to have some sort of psychic energy, we'll say. And they said for years the house was haunted, that they felt a ghost growing up in the attic, so who knows? Um, well, what happened is on Mother's Day, I forget the exact year, but on Mother's Day a few years back, the house caught on fire. Um, some wiring, somebody ran an extension cord under the rug a hundred years before, and that finally caught on fire. My cousin Amy was the only one there. She was sleeping up in the attic bedroom. And the house filled up with smoke. She got up. Now, she had to jump out the third story window because she couldn't get down the stairs. She had no... You might have heard about this. It was actually on the news. Um, a lot of media outlets picked up on the story. She couldn't make it out the window. Um, it was too high of a jump. And she couldn't make it down the stairs. There's no way because it was one of those long, windy, wooden attic staircases where it's like this wide so and there were already flames coming up it so she really had no choice so she got into the window uh hoping that she could at least hit the uh overhang of the porch and then hit the ground maybe try to break her fall a little bit and she said or my aunt told me that she said i've never discussed it directly but she felt something scoop her up out of the window and almost carry her down now when she hit the ground she put both her hands out and she shattered both of her wrists and she had a couple other minor cuts and scrapes, but that's all that happened to her. Theoretically, she should have had bones completely shattered in her arms. Yeah, I mean, she should have died. There's no way she should have made it out of there, but she did. Because she felt that something carried her. So, 
Uh, and she felt that it was my grandmother's energy that kind of scooped her up and carried her out. Uh, then she had a locket that was hanging up next to her bed that was very important to her that my grandmother had left her. And so my uncle had to climb through the charred ruins. I mean, this house was destroyed. I mean, it was hundreds of years old and nothing in it was flame retardant. I mean, it was just, it was a bad situation for fire. And it just went up in a flash. And so he went through these charred remains and he's like, I'm not going to find this locket. And he's looking all around, looking all around. And whatever happened, he eventually did find it. So it was kind of like a little push, you know what I mean? Another little push. And two other quick circumstances that happened there while we're talking about it. Again, if, if I'm bothering you guys, just, just stop me. But my father, who does not believe in this stuff at all, like uh, never really believed in this stuff at all, he went upstairs into the house after it burned down from the basement staircase where my grandfather had his workshop, walked up the stairs, when he opened the door into the kitchen, a voice told him to get out. And my father said, okay. And he closed the door and he walked back downstairs and said, I'm not going up in there. Which for him to admit that even is, is pretty incredible. I went up the same staircase. And this could be your mind's eye, not really actually a, a paranormal experience. But when I opened up the door and I looked into the kitchen, it was exactly as I remembered it, exactly how it had always looked. No fire, nothing. It was as if nothing had ever happened. And then I shook my head real fast and blinked my eyes. When I opened my eyes back up, it was as it was, like totally burned and totally charred and just destroyed. So, I mean, again, that might not be paranormal. It might just be my mind seeing it before my eyes did or what I expected to see. So, uh, wrapping up the, the story here, I took a chair from the basement. That meant a lot to me because uh, it was my grandfather's chair from his work workshop. And I also took a pink flamingo that he'd had out in the front yard that he kept out there as a joke that had half-ass melted. And I, I kept that. Uh, I don't know why. So they were both in my in my basement bedroom, my parents' house at the time. And I actually woke up one night to see my grandfather sitting in the chair, just staring at me. Didn't say anything. Just looked at me. Kind of gave me like a, you know, like a wave. And... But for whatever reason, I thought it had something to do with that flamingo. So uh, you remember the, that house and, and the yes. way it was up. I took the flamingo and I threw it as far out in the woods as I could. And I never had another situation like that again. But at times, my both of my grandparents have appeared to members of my family uh, posthumously. So, I mean, take that for what it is. Those are my experiences. My mouth is dry. Let me take a sip of soda. Is there a, a thing about your... Parents Entertainment Center? No, that I they, hadn't heard that. That the the glass shattered in it? I hadn't heard that. But you know what? I think that we would benefit right now from uh, stopping what we're doing, the way that we're doing it. Maybe we can take it inside into the office. Yeah. Then I think we can talk a little bit more and not really annoy Jen or the neighbors. Okay. All right. So let's do that. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. We'll be right back. <laughs> You can pull it right in with the extension cord. Are, do we even have anything left to, to record? Uh, just the goodbye, I think. The goodbye part. Uh, you were telling me a story about my parents in an entertainment center. Why don't you finish that story? 
Uh, the only thing I don't know about your parents in the entertainment center was it was a gift by your grandparents. Okay. All right. I'll buy that and for the purposes of the story. Just yeah. out of. Oh, what's going Never on? Never say die. Okay. Is it, or, uh, Continuing. Continuing is, with is, the story. Maybe we shouldn't be telling the story? Is that the. Uh, I don't know. It's up to your grandparents, I guess. All right. Go ahead. Keep going. Um, just out of no, nowhere, one of your. One of the. Uh, large plate glass doors just kind of fell off the entertainment center and shattered. Hmm. And they, uh, I remember your family saying that it was all, that it was your grandparents doing. Well, because they probably still owe the money for it. No, so. here's, here, <laughs> here's the, the paranormal investigator question. The million dollar question Who is, put it <laughs> yeah, did my dad put it together? Um, because then, of course, if that's, that's the case, question, the only thing paranormal is his skills with a screwdriver. That's true. No, just kidding. I mean, yeah, I think I'd heard about that peripherally, but... <laughs> oh, shit. Edit? <laughs> Maybe. Was that an EVP? Uh, that was like the EVP that we got at Nelson Library. Nelson Library. That's classic. Um, I'm getting really tired here. Uh... Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily anything paranormal. Um, but, I mean, it is one to chalk up to the... Well, at least your family thought it was paranormal. Even uh, though they kind of dismissed it. But at yeah. first they well, thought it was. I mean, Carrie, um, my little sister Carrie is kind of the most sensitive soul in the family. Like the one who gets upset about things, uh, a little too overly sensitive about things. And the first, uh, one of the family traditions was to go to the 4th of July... Um, parade at my grandparents' house that went right down the main street in front of their house. And she was the one who, the first one who, my grandfather died on Halloween and the following 4th of July parade, uh, she saw in the window watching the parade. So, I mean, you can, do I, do I dismiss those? No, because having my own quote-unquote experiences with it, I don't dismiss it. Um, but, I mean, is it true positive definition of the paranormal to me. Uh, I mean, I think what Rick Hayes said last week, we take a lot of that into consideration that there is that familial energy, that energy that surrounds your family, and maybe it doesn't really just totally dissipate after a loved one's passed on. Who knows? It's definitely uh, up for debate, and we, and we welcome people to jump onto our message board at SpookySouthCoast.com and talk about it. Hopefully, if you've listened to the show tonight and... and uh, whether you've enjoyed our ramblings or we pissed you off and or made you laugh, made you cry, uh, made you want to um, punch us in the face, whatever the feeling that you might get from the show is, I hope that you will go on the board at SpookySouthCoast.com and, and talk to us about it. Let us know what you thought. Uh, we're also on MySpace, MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. Matt Monisha screwed tits, apparently? Oh, shirts. Oh, shirts. Oh, he wants me to plug the shirts. Uh, yeah, so go to uh, cafepress.com slash spooky south and buy some of our shit. And when I say shit, I mean shit. I mean, uh, the 39.99 framed uh, lithograph, which isn't even signed. If you buy that, like, please find us and we'll sign it for you because it's just. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm saying that like that's going to increase the value. Like, it's going to make it worth the 40 bucks <laughs> if we signed it. It might. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Uh, Matt Costa's is going places. Moniz and I will stay behind here. We're happy that way. Well, let's see. Uh, there's the thong with our picture on the outside and Moniz's picture on the inside. I like the clock, actually. 
I, the I clock, was a big the fan cl- of the clock. The clock is the cool. Clock was attractive. It's like it twelve was, bucks. It's it not useful. Yeah, it's not crazy. It wasn't too expensive. You could get a giant really piece of leather and make it the world's biggest wristwatch. I mean, uh, yeah. there's so much you could do with Maybe it. Like you could strap a chain to it, wear it around your neck, uh, like flavor flavor. Like I might do that. That's a good idea. I'll tell you. Sorry. I like the mugs. Yeah, the mugs are pretty cool. There's a, a large coffee mug, a regular coffee mug, a beer stein. A beer stein. How cool the beer stein I been. saw the beer stein. I that's, was in love when I first saw I, I, it. I you know, like, when I saw the beer stein, I was like, do I put the photo, promotional photo on the front, or do I just go with a simple logo? I think the logo is simple and effective. I think yeah. it works. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and Oktoberfest, of course, is coming up, so you're going to need a giant beer stein for that. What else is on there that we can plug? The dog t-shirt? Maybe uh, maybe there's like a, a phantom dog that patrols your neighborhood, a hellhound, perhaps? Are we going to pull, like, uh, Silence Your Cell Phones? Silence Your Cell Phones. I, I forgot to mention Silence Your Cell Phones. The My new favorite band of the week. Yes, they're of the week. What do you change every week? Uh, yeah, uh, flavor of the week. More, more often. Band du jour. Exactly. More, more often you change your underwear. What is band du jour? It's the band of the day. Mm, that sounds good. I'll have that. There's the, uh, so Silence Your Cell Phones, myspace.com slash Silence Your Cell Phones. Um, very interesting stuff. I didn't even realize it added a new song this week, so I have to go check that out. We're going to... Probably put some of that in the podcast for you to hear. Oh, I don't know. How about there right are now? that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. There are certain rules. There are certain rules. 
And we're back. That was some pretty good stuff from Silence Your Cell Phones. It's, they're both laughing. Like, they both totally understand how radio and podcasting works, yet they still find it funny that there's the editing process. So, that was a great song. What'd you think of that song? Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. No, I see that won't work. Then they're going to know we're being disingenuous because they already ruined it. So, what else? What else we need to talk about? What else we need to plug? Uh, uh, there's the a new, Capers meeting coming up. There's a Capers meeting coming yeah. up. Uh, we don't have the the uh, information in front of us, but go to our website, spookysouthcoast.com. Uh, we'll put Cape Card, Grave. Cape Card, Gravestones with yeah. with uh, with Deb. But um, I'm not sure the date. Is it next Friday? Uh, I believe it's next Friday. Uh, what did yeah. you say, Moniz? Keith Johnson's uh, on-air stuff. Uh, his, his television show, Ghosts Are Near. We're still working on trying to get that in the New Bedford area, but uh, if you go to Yahoo Videos and you search for near Ghosts are near, um, N-E-A-R, uh, it's Ghosts, then the letter R, then near. You know, like kind of like Toys R Us. If you search for it uh, on Yahoo Videos, you will find uh, at least one show is up there. So I I recommend it. Uh, Keith and Sandra do an excellent job with with that program. What else can we plug? Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers. Choopy, Choopy the Chupacabra. Since we're not going to be on the air for, for two Saturdays in a row, you might as well tune, tune into Penny Dreadful, if you don't usually, um, 10 o'clock on Channel 95 in New Bedford and all of the channels. Just go to their website, shillingshockers.com, and of course the, the Penny Dreadful radio show Black Leather on WSMU every Friday afternoon from noon to 3. We can talk about that because we're not on the air. Uh, what else? Let's see, what else can we plug? There's the uh, upcoming... Uh, Chain of Matt Moniz fried chicken joints. That's the. Uh, let's see, uh, Matt Costa. What, what, do you do anything? What do you do? Do I do anything? No. no do you, you'll be appearing uh, for the next uh, uh, three I'm months at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Signing autographs and two uh, nights a week at CSP. Signing spooky yeah, South Coast songs. And then in two weeks, so on September second, we return live to WBSM's airwaves. Uh, provided they'll have us back after this podcast, and we will have some big guests because we got to come back strong. So we will uh, we'll definitely make sure that we make up for it. We thank you for supporting our program and for listening to the podcast version. I'm sure at times it was painful. Uh, it was not painful to produce though because the alcohol and the pain. <laughs> As is mad well interesting. Yeah. At times it was even boring. But that's life, isn't it? That's life, isn't it? Big up yourself. So for Science Advisor Matt Moniz, for the silent assassin Matt Costa, 
I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spectacular, everybody. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy. It's something else. You know, something, something fiction. Tomorrow. Yesterday begins again. Tomorrow. 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 Look, I know the supernatural. This one does happen. (laughs) Make fun of the skip. Is, is my cell phone right here? Alright, that's sp- spooky South Coast off the air. And uh, we don't blame them. That was probably the worst podcast ever. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy. And what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that is...